This is Deep Blue, where we get the true life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. On today's show, we talk with the man in charge of your experience at BYU sporting events, the marketing, the promotions, the feeling. But he's much more than that. He's from Hawaii. He's worked at Duke. And he's got a sweet jumper. He's David Almodova from BYU Athletics. What's up, David? What's up, Jerem? How you doing? I'm good, dude. You're one of my favorite people at BYU, by the way. Have I ever told you this? You have not. I really enjoy hanging out with you. You're a good hang, and you do great work. So I'm stoked to uh, hang out with you here on the show. Okay, let's talk about your title. Associate Athletic Director. Ooh, nice. Director of Marketing and Promotions. Did I get it right? Is there more to it? There you go. No, that's good. Okay. I, I said that you're in charge of the experience at BYU Sporting Events. Is that an accurate statement? <laughs> if it's not, correct me. <laughs> no, that's that's part of our job. Yes, it is. Yeah. So we, you know, marketing has evolved over time, obviously, especially with collegiate sports. Um, when I first got into the industry, it was a lot of traditional advertising, traditional print. Um Basically, the job was to get people to come to the game and hope they have a good time. And experience has become a big, you know, big factor into the fans when they go to game day. And so, you know, it was how do we track the fan experience from driveway to driveway Mm. when they leave their home until they get back that night? And so we have done things over the years to try to help enhance the fan experience. Um, you know, we implemented the Cougar Walk a handful of years ago. Which uh, is awesome. I love it. We implemented, we wanted fans, you know, my first, my first game day here, Jerem, um, like I said, I'd been at Duke, or like you said, and, you know, traveling the ACC and other southeastern schools and seeing how a football game day was done, that was my you know, experience of what game day should be. I grew up in Hawaii, and I went to the University of Hawaii football games, and I remember as a kid going with my family and meeting up with relatives and friends and tailgating before the game. And it was about food. It was about throwing the football around. It was about getting to the stadium as early as you can and just taking it all in. All day. All day long. And so my first game at BYU. What year? 2007, we open up against Arizona. Now, you say your first game when you're working here? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so um, I show up to the stadium, and I had, you know, started my job. You know, about, it was about mid-July, and I get to the stadium. You started mid-July, and they throw you in? Let's go. Wow. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. And I get to the stadium. We're here about four hours before kick, and I'm just kind of walking around, and, and there it's there's nobody. And I remember sitting up in the press box, and with about two hours and 15 minutes for a kick, our team buses roll in to the southeast side of the parking lot and get dropped off right by gate 11. There's nobody around. And I'm like, man, our team just arrived. There's nobody around. And from that moment on, it was like, okay, what conversation need to be had so we can start the process of, you know, we want fans here. We want them to take in a college football game day. And so conversation started, and it took us about three to four years to implement the Cougar Walk on the east side of the stadium. 
And so that I felt like that was a big win, right? The goal was to get people here. You know, when when their team shows up to the stadium, they want to be, they want to be live. They want to be lit. They want to be like, let's go. It's go time. And so um, the first one we ever did, um, great turnout. Team comes down, and I remember Coach Mendenhall after that saying, after the game, going, that was awesome. And so that kind of started that. And, you know, obviously we worked through procedures and policies while we're here at BYU and making sure that whatever we do that <laughs> – Understatement of the century. <laughs> <laughs> you know, making sure that we do things the right way. And, you know, we also – at one point we moved the student section into one area, right? The students were spread out throughout LaBelder Stadium. And in the Merit Center, they were all together, and it created an amazing atmosphere in the Merit Center. And at most schools, your students were together. And so, you know, that took a few years to make sure that we could not only work with season ticket holders and where they were sitting, and we'd have to move them. And basically, we wanted to bring the students together. We wanted to give them a brand and an identity. And so, you know, that took a few years to get going. And, and now I feel like when we have a full rock, that place is just as good as it gets anywhere in the country. And that's saying quite a lot because you've been at Duke. That's the top of the mountain, right? <laughs> but the volume, uh, I'm talking audibly and numerically, is tough to top two. Oh, absolutely. Ask, ask Gonzaga. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, those are a few different experiences or different things that we've, you know, I feel like our team has implemented. And it's been with a lot of help and a lot of support and a lot of conversations. And so, you know, grateful for um, a vision and grateful for the people who have helped support it. And so it's been really good. And hopefully we just continue to, to do more things for our fans as time goes on. Um, you know, we're coming back from a pandemic. We didn't have fans last year. For a couple of games, we had a few thousand. And the goal and message with our team this year has been, you know, you never get a chance to make a second impression in sports. And so... Fans that have been coming to Lavelle Stadium for years have been used to what they've seen. And hopefully the goal this year is we want to change up some things and do some things differently that they maybe haven't experienced or haven't seen. And so I feel like our team has done a few different things that hopefully implement that to where fans notice a difference and notice a change. Uh, We've worked closely with our corporate sponsorship team as they've been heavily involved in that. You know, it's about fan first for us. And so we just, in the end, we just want to make sure they have the best experience they can possible. Okay, you say fan first, but you also cater to the team itself. Absolutely. And the university itself, And right? How do you balance all of that? Because you want people, everybody, fan, administrator, player alike to show up and be like, that was sweet. And obviously you hope you win and everything. But regardless of the results on the field, which you can't control, but your team can control how you feel about everything else. How do you manage all of that? It's a lot of conversations, right? <laughs> it's a lot of meetings. It's a lot of getting everyone on the same page. Um, I think, you know, I don't think we're unique to it, but at BYU, you know, we we work with our special events team that oversees the stadium. Um, and so we work closely with them as far as what can we do? What are... What are things that we can expand on? And so, you know, it's just getting everybody on the same page. 
with a common goal. And in the end, it's just we want the fans to have the best experience when they come to Lavelle Stadium and to the Merritt Center or any other event that they come to at BYU. Which, let's be honest, when you go to the other events, the non-football men's basketball, they're some of the best in the country too. Smith Fieldhouse, I've been calling those matches for 13 years. I've been coming since I was 16. Unmatched in the country. Like, unique, amazing experience, right? Maybe Nebraska and Hawaii feel like they're similar, right? Uh, Southfield, incredible. Miller Park, getting a video board for baseball. Like, special double venue. Like, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. Absolutely. It only enhances. And, again, that's our goal is always enhance. And so, you know, hopefully when fans come back this year, they're going to be, you know, there's going to be a new treat in that football stadium. And those two boards that are going to be up there are going to be impressive. The north board's done. They're working on it right now. And if you've been able to drive by it and see it, it's pretty impressive. And the quality um, as well. And I hope, I, I feel that people will notice a massive difference in those boards. We're so grateful to, to Newskin for what they've been able to do and, and for their support financially and their partnership with BYU Athletics. And so we're so grateful to them. Those two video boards, um, what kind of difference do you think they're going to make? And, and are these, um, you know, is this where we want to be? Is this something we need to change every 10 years, 20 years? Like, what's the situation? Because you, know, you, you want to keep up with the Joneses, but also the church's mentality is we don't necessarily need to do that. We need to do what makes sense for us, what's financially viable. There are a lot of sort of uh, governing principles there. Sure. I mean, it's kind of like your TV at home. How often do you change out your TV? And similar to a venue like this. You have 60,000-plus people coming, and over time, quality changes, definition, things that – the language I don't speak. And, and so, you know, nine years ago, ten years ago when we had our new boards come in, those were supposed to last for a while. But quickly as, as you know, whatever – sorry. It's the dispensation of the fullness of time, Dave. It's going to roll quick. I mean, it's, it's honestly – to me, I mean, you're looking at venues now where, you know, Texas, when they put up their board a handful of years ago, it was the biggest board in the U.S., and they just redid a new one, right? And what's interesting is they just did it a few feet bigger than their counters in the state, Texas A&M. And so, you know, we're <laughs> that not— happens with seating too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, again, always trying to enhance. You're always trying to find, you know, what's, what's the nuances and niches to what we can do. And so when fans come to the stadium this year, the north board is as impressive as it is. The south board will even, you know, it's a bigger board. Mm -hmm. It's almost three times the size of what we had in there previously. It's massive. Massive. And so if you drive by now and see the beams that are up, you can just look at the beams and go, okay, I I have the picture. It's going to be big. But the quality is going to be amazing. And so hopefully that, you know, enhances the fan experience while they're in LaBelder Stadium. Why is one um, video board larger than the other? What's the motivation there? <sighs> to put up a board like they did, I mean, there's a lot of reinforcement. And so with the budget that we had, you, know, you couldn't do both, you know, the same. And so you want to be able to obviously reinforce those boards. And, and so that's, that's a big portion of why. And so um, in the end, it was we want to have the speakers on that, south, or on that north side. And so that way, the board on the south side um, obviously will be what it is. And so that was a big part of why it's been done that way. Okay, tailgating. You talked about that at uh, BYU. 
I have a few ideas of why I don't think tailgating's as big of a deal here. Tell me if I'm wrong. No alcohol. I think that's a that's that's a staple of tailgating at other places. The other thing I think it is the the spend the whole day there. I feel like our crowd is thinking about the Sunday school lesson they have to teach the next day too. Like the after part, it doesn't exist. The before part, a little bit with some people. What are the what do you see there, and where do you feel like hey maybe we can, and and how much of it, this is on you versus just people doing it right. with tailgating? You know I think it's 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 how you were raised. It's how you grew up coming to the stadium, and so obviously traditions take a while, and I think as we've seen over the years, you're seeing few more and more people come early tailgate, and so it's like when their kids get older. That'll be their experience. Mm. And so that's when you can see the turnover start happening. So 20 or 30 years. Man. I Is you that know, what we're talking about? 10, hopefully. Okay. We'll see. Yeah. But, you know, Jeremy brought up the alcohol thing. I mean, I guess for us, I mean, my family, we didn't drink, but we went early to take it all in. That didn't matter for you It guys. didn't matter. Yeah. It was food. Food's a big part of it. We love food. And my thing was, you know, I was told that early on, and my whole counter to that was, but we love to potluck at the park. <laughs> yes, we do. Right? Our culture. Why can't we do that? Just call it, uh, you know, break the fast or something. <laughs> so let's just do that. <laughs> Linger the, longer. Yeah. Let's do that near the football stadium on yes. a game day. Amen. So you got food. You got your footballs, your Frisbees, your cornholes. You can still have a great experience minus the things that we don't have at typical tailgate parties. Are we too uh, efficient culturally? Hey, we got to get all the stuff. That... Possibly. I I've, I haven't been to as many places as you, but when I've gone to other places, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. I would love to be here just all day and hanging with my family and friends. This would be amazing. That can happen. So is this something that athletics and in your position you sort of help uh, till the soil and then hope that – People plant in this space? I think you want to just at least give people the opportunity to choose. And so, like, for us and my family, you know, we go, I mean, that's Friday night date. Let's go to the grocery store. Let's go get things that we need for the next week. We'll do it Friday night. That's like a fun anticipatory activity, right? Right. And then it's, hey, if we've got yard work or whatever you do, it's done early Saturday morning. Because we don't play in the early afternoon. We got time. Got time. Yeah. We got time. And so it's not that we're saying, hey, come to the stadium at 8 a.m. and stay till midnight. If you want to, great. But you still have time to get there at 1 or 2, mm. especially for those 8.15 kicks. Yeah. And so I think that's where, obviously, you know, you're going to go in the stadium. You're going to always have the memories that you have in the stadium, during the game, the amazing plays. But you can also have that same experience before you go to the stadium, in the parking lots, talking with friends and family, and just reminiscing eating food, just the whole atmosphere around the football stadium, that's what we're trying to create. Food, family, football, man. There you Those go. Those three. There Let's you go. go. Um, Cougar Canyon was added a couple years ago. This has been a really nice addition. What was the influence and motivation behind that? Was there some somewhere else that you saw that you really liked? Because I know you've traveled the country to look at other schools and see what they do. Yeah. So, again, trying to enhance, trying to you know innovate. And so – Obviously, Cougar Walk had been going good. People started showing up a little earlier to tailgate, gathering, whatever they're doing. And as we, you know, about three and a half years ago, it was how do we create an experience outside the stadium? We have this piece of road that sits pretty much vacant. We block it off. 
And that's when the conversation started is what can we do? Texas, University of Texas, had just started their Bevo Boulevard, which was sponsor activation, food trucks, live bands. And we were like, why can't we do the same thing? And so, you know, I took a trip to Texas. Um, you took so one for the team? Took one for the team. Went, to- went and ate amazing barbecue. Oh, man. And, you know, talked to their people and learned about, you know, how they started, what they did, what was the motivation behind it. And it was interesting there, they don't have a really big tailgate game day tradition because they're kind of landlocked, mm. right? You got a lot of buildings around their stadium. There's not a whole lot of places for fans to to tailgate or have a really a true game day atmosphere. And so as we were talking as a staff, it was, man, we could implement this here. Sponsorship activation. We want to engage our fans in different ways with our sponsors, with our partners, Live music. There's something about live music, food, and things to do that just creates an atmosphere that's just fun. It's fun to be around. And when you look at Provo over the course of the summer, you've got, you know, we block off Center Street in downtown Provo. There's always different festivals, Mm -hmm. and those are always highly attended. And so why can't we implement something right outside our stadium on game days? And so, you know, we felt like that first year – it was a really great experience. We got a lot of great feedback. Which year was that again? Remind me. 2019. 19. Right. And obviously we couldn't. We've only done it one year. We've only done it, it one year. It felt like we did it a couple of years. Yeah. We put a jib out there too. That's a that's a big camera with an arm that sort of set this scenic mood right when Countdown and Kickoff started. And I always love that shot. It just like set the tone because it's like, look how awesome this is. Yeah. So, you know, we're bringing it back and hopefully fans will, will come and enjoy all the events that we have on Cougar Canyon. Um, and then just to the north of the stadium, at the same time in 19, we added, we, were, we partnered with another company called the Tailgate Guys, where fans can pay for a tailgating experience. Mm. They get to choose basically a la carte how they would like to have their game day experience. And so that was something that we did. And, you know, for a first year, being at BYU, they felt like it was a success and why they're back with us this year. And so, you know, we hope fans will take advantage of that opportunity to do that. What's that like? Like, like I take this stuff home and then I bring it next time, or is it there when I show up? So I show up, and you can say, hey, you know, I want a tent. I want some chairs, a table. I want a TV. That they have already brought and are sitting there. They've set it up. Oh, they've taken the hustle out of it. Exactly. Nice. Or you can say, hey, we want everything. We want you guys to set up everything. We want catered where you just show up and everything's done. That's or you can nice. say, hey, we're going to bring our own food, yeah. but we want all the other accessories with it. And so for TV fans, and everything? TV, everything. Oh, okay. So, okay. again, you're paying – you can pay for your own tailgate experience on a game day. That's pretty cool. Yeah. it's. I mean, they do a great job, and so they're professionals, and it's awesome. Is the food pretty good? Food's really good. Nice. It's it's local vendors here in our in Provo. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So Okay, um, you mentioned Texas. I know you've been to Penn State. I know you've been to a bunch of – you worked at Duke. The whole. Where have you gone where you thought, listen, if we can do it like these guys or take this piece, that'd be awesome. Like who are the influences on BYU here? And, and not just like tailgating and pregame, like in-game, after the game, other sports. Yeah. I mean, there's – you know, that's what we do as an industry – it's called rip off and duplicate, right? <laughs> you don't have to tell me. I'm watching ESPN and Fox Sports, and I'm going, oh, I like that. Right. Yeah. 
So, I mean, there's a little bit of influence from everywhere. I mean, you're right. Penn State, Texas, um, Virginia Tech, you name it. I mean, we've been there. Virginia Tech, the enter Sandman walk-in. Yeah, I mean, nobody does it like them. But, you know, when you look at that, that's the perfect song for a team walkout. Mm -hmm. That's something that nobody else has ripped off and duplicated, right? That's one that you just don't touch. That that's, specific song you're saying? Right. Yeah. That's Virginia Tech. That's them. Wisconsin Jump Around. Jump Around. That's their thing. That's their thing. Now, people will try to still do it, but it doesn't. But it's when that song starts in that stadium, you have 60,000 plus people to start jumping, and that creates that atmosphere. It can be done if 60,000 people are jumping. And so whether it's, you know, Enter Sandman at Virginia Tech or Penn State's Whiteout, you know, that was the game we went to a few years ago. How was that? That was amazing. I I mean, you're talking about 107,000, 105,000 people in white. I'll never forget we were there. That's the goal of the church. <laughs> the same goal. We were there the day before the game. We were touring their campus. And you had students losing their minds because they couldn't find a white hoodie, a white T-shirt. You know, they're just, they're running, it's like chaos mm. they, because all their stores were sold out of white. And I'll never forget people showing up just in a white sheet, right? They just cut out <laughs> eyes and they're just jumping like white sheets. Like a ghost sheet. on Halloween. That's right, because it's their whiteout. Huh. Is that one game a year or is that every one, game? That's one game a year. Okay, special. And it's always at night. And so. And it's always on ABC. And it's always on ABC. So it feels like. Majority of the time, right? Yeah. And so. And then, you know, what they do is Penn State's known for, they do a lot of sing-alongs. They do a lot of sing-alongs. So that was impressive to see. Um, but again, you know, you look at like in Alabama. Alabama, their game day atmosphere is, I, I'd say, a top five, right? You've got— They just took it up a notch with the lights in the stadium. They took it up a notch, them in Georgia, right? Well, of course, Georgia's going to want to hang there. And so— but, I mean, you've got people showing up and tailgating. You know, I remember talking to a counterpart in the SEC a handful of years ago, and they said, you know, our biggest challenge is how do we keep people away while we're still in school, right? We have droves of fans coming that want to start tailgating Thursday night instead of Saturday morning. <laughs> what a good problem. So they're coming Thursday night, and they're there all day Friday. Oh, wow. All day Saturday, and they're not leaving until Sunday. Mm. So that was their problem. That's a nice problem. Um, <laughs> you know, Tennessee, for those of the fan, our fans that went out there last year. I, oh, what a great contingent oh, that went from BYU. Amazing. Amazing. And, and like coordinated the the blue and everything. It popped. Yes, it did. And I had been I went to a Tennessee game years ago when, when I was at Duke. And I had never that's probably the loudest stadium I've ever been in. That's what everyone said. Yeah. From that game. So we're, you know, I'm at Duke and we're playing at Tennessee and it's in the third quarter and you know, they're only up three points on us. And we have the ball, and their fans, I don't know what it was, but 100,000-plus people stood up. And I'd never felt the piercing. Like, in, I could, like my body was just – I'd never felt that. It was insane and crazy, and I was like, wow. But the vol walk is a must for fans. If they didn't go to it last year – you know, it's a it's it's our version of our Cougar Walk, but it's a parade, it's a show, and they do it really well. Hmm. You know, it's along the river, Tennessee River. You know, so the boats are coming in on Fridays. We got a river here. We got a river. <laughs> we got a river, 
But no, I mean, to see, you know, the boats coming down the Tennessee River on Friday as you're going to the stadium and going to campus, I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's amazing. Maybe, a lot of great traditions around the country. Maybe Baylor will have that too. That'll be an interesting one because they're on a yeah. river. They do. I've never been to Baylor. You will this year. Yeah. yeah. You, you get to see uh, six new ones. You get to see Georgia Southern this year too. Let's Baylor's go. got the, um, the Baylor run. What's right? the Baylor run? It's oh, where the students come on the field? And run out. Yes. With the team, before the team. Yeah, that's so right. So my boss, my former boss at Duke, is the one who implemented that tradition okay. there. So Baylor used to struggle with getting students and fans to their games. So they said, well, come on let, the field. Come on the field. Lead our team out. And now it's, I mean, for our fans that are going out to the Baylor game, that's something, that's impressive. When you have turf, you can do that. When you have turf, you can when do you that. you have grass, you don't do that. I, I, I'd like to be like with their risk management people when that thing happens because – I mean, it's it's chaos, but they they've been doing it for years, and it's an amazing tradition there. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's rewind with you, and then we'll we'll continue to go into the future too. Uh, you grew up in Hawaii. Maui, uh, Hawaii. What, what's it like on the North Shore there, and how does that still influence you, Jerem? I you know I say this a lot that I don't I couldn't have asked for a better place to be raised and to grow up than Laie, Hawaii. It was for those people who have ever been. You know, it's a it's a small community. There's about 2,500 people there. But That's those, it, give or take. I hear so much about Laie, and I didn't realize it was that small. It's wow. very small. Wow. And but it is like I am not lying here when I say it is like one big family. The amount of talent that comes out of that town, right? Incredible Kahuku. football talent. Yeah, um, it's amazing. And so here you'd say this is. This is deep. We want to go deep a little bit. This is deep blue. This is deep blue. So I grew up on Eosepa Street, and our next-door neighbors were the Anais. Robert, Brad, Matt, you know, they all played here at BYU. We're going to see Robert again October 30th. We're going to see Robert again. Robert and my brother are are the best of friends. Growing up to this day, they still stay in touch. But I, growing up there, I was not a BYU fan. I was a Hawaii Rainbow Warrior. And for me, that's just, I mean, I lived on the island. <laughs> yep. That was our Rappin'. hometown team, right? Rappin'. And, you know, my mom went to BYU. She graduated from here. But I was I was a warrior. And, you know, I had cousins that had played there. And so part of growing up was to go and watch them play. And I never could understand why my friends growing up there would leave beautiful paradise to come and play football in Provo, Utah. It's cold. It snows. I never understood that. And I'd get mad. Like, why are you guys leaving? (laughs) Right? Stay home. And it never made sense to me. And obviously I'm a child and I don't, you know, it's just what I saw. Love the Anais. They're family to us. But I could never understand why they left, why they would leave. And it wasn't until I came... Sorry, I'm going to fast forward really quickly, and then we'll go back. But I can understand why until when I came here on my interview and started meeting people, right? And, you know, I met Tom Homo, obviously, on my interview and, and spent time with him and others that were in the athletic department, saw some of our student-athletes that were there, and quickly understood why. You know, you hear the legacy of Coach Edwards and what he had done here. And it was hard not to kind of instantly fall in love with this place and 
my whole mindset changed toward BYU. Like, was that in? Uh, was there a moment? Was it over a couple of days, weeks, months? Just you know, I'll never forget meeting meeting our players while I was here, and, and then when I started, and you know, quickly, you know, fall camp was going on, and, and meeting the guys, and just how impressed I was with who they were, their character. Um, you know, you had Brian Keel, who I remember seeing at my first practice, like going, "Man, that dude looks like a Greek god." And but Brian was, I mean, a maniac on the field, but such a great dude off the field. And you know, there's a bunch. I mean, there's, I mean, you name them, you know, they're there. And so it was just, you know, the feeling you get, the people you meet, and you know, and then rewind. You know, I was at SUU going to school there. I didn't like growing up the Duke Blue Devils. No, uh, uh-uh. uh. That was that was another school that we just didn't cheer for. We were UNLV running Rebels fans because my uncle at the time, uh, his best friend was Coach Tarkanian. And so growing up, we would get UNLV swag, right? And I thought that was the coolest thing. And then, White and towels and oh, the whole deal. You know, then <laughs> and so you you know, we grew up UNLV and, and so when the Duke opportunity happened, that was like what? But again, you go and you meet the people and you fall in love with the people there. And so, you know, again, fast forward to BYU, it's the people. The people make the place, right? And you build your relationships and and it's hard not to fall in love with. And so, but let me go back to, to Light EA. When, you, when people say you're raised, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, literally that's what Light EA is. And I think for people who ever gone back to visit, whoever ever lived there, you know, they can attest to that. It is one big family, and I'm so grateful for, for living there and being raised there. So at some point you moved to Cedar City. When is that? So I moved to Cedar City in high school. So my sister and her husband uh, were living there, and you want to come full circle on some things. So my brother-in-law was recruited by the head coach at SCU to go play football there. His name was Jack Bishop. So Jack recruits my brother-in-law. Him and my sister move. They're living in Cedar. About 10 years after they moved away, I decide, hey, I would love to try to go to school in, in Utah. Just, just you, not just with me. the fam. Yep, just oh, me. Oh, okay. Right. Let's just go take a year and, and see what it's like. And so amazing experience, amazing time. We talk my parents into retiring and to moving to Cedar City. And, you know, we had growing up, we had come up every summer. We'd go to Cedar City. And, you know, we'd spend time there. So you already liked it? Yeah, we, we'd enjoy it. You know, yeah. we'd, we'd spend a couple of weeks in Cedar. We'd You liked it so much, she calls it Cedar. Cedar. You're an insider. Exactly. If you're from Spanish Fork, you call it Spanish. <laughs> Same thing, right? <laughs> That's right. And so, um, yeah, I live in that year, and we start talking to my parents, and, hey, why don't you guys move up here? And so, fortunately, they were able to retire and move to Cedar. And so I finished my high school there. Did you go sophomore, junior, senior? Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Oh, all the way. Yeah. All four. Yeah. Because in Laie, Kahuku High School, we went, you went there in your seventh grade. So oh, seventh, seventh grade you're at Kahuku? Seventh grade you're at Kahuku. Oh, okay. Right. We didn't have junior highs, middle gotcha. schools. It Elementary, just, right to Kahuku. Yep. Okay. And so seventh, eighth grade year. And then um, I'm at Cedar High School playing basketball and have an opportunity to go play at Southern Utah. 
So I go to Southern Utah and Are you and, in Scully? Yeah. Oh. I didn't know this. This is why we do the show. I'm learning so much. <laughs> so go to Southern Utah, end up tearing my hamstring and have to redshirt my freshman year. Mm. From dunking too hard? Trying. That was yeah. a you know, trying. Yeah, yeah, try. yeah. And um so we try to rehab it, redshirt for a year, and it just could never get to where the explosion was there. Mm. And at the time, Jack Bishop, if you remember Jack, Jack's the one who recruited my brother-in-law. Jack's currently the head football coach at SU and now the athletic director. And so at the time, he approaches me and just says, you know, hey, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I have no clue what I'm going to do. I Basketball, I don't think it's going to work. And, he's, and so he proposed the opportunity to say, hey, there's a chance, you know, we're going to have a marketing spot within our athletic department. Why don't you go and talk to the marketing director? And if you get it, you know, it'll pay for your schooling. Oh, there's a scholarship for this. There is. Nice. Right? At the time, I'm also dating his daughter. So is it, hey, if you're not going to do this, <laughs> what are you going to do, right? <laughs> you kind of have to take it? You have to at least apply? Got to apply. Okay. And um, <laughs> That's some pressure. So end up doing that for my whole time, the rest of my college career. And in that time, marry the AD's daughter. Look at you, man. Big man on campus here. And so it's kind of when I say full circle, my father-in-law currently recruits my brother-in-law, you know, in, back in 1981, 82. And here you fast forward 20 years later, and I am now marrying his daughter. And so um, that was kind of, you know, that whole, yeah. Okay, before we talk about the SU days and then to Duke. Let's not skip over the fact that in 1992-93, for is it Cedar High, Cedar City High, Cedar High School, Cedar High School, the Fighting. Well, now it's the Reds. It used to be the Redmen. Gotcha. The Reds. Okay. Uh, you make 92 threes, bro. Uh, I still have that according to the Utah High School Athletic Association books. Tenth in a single season in Utah history. Not bad, my man. You know, and back then, you know, I had no idea, right? I, 92. Yeah. We're at our team banquet a month after the season, and my head coach tells me, hey, you just broke the state record. At the time, that was the state record? Yeah, it was held. Oh, wow. By former BYU guard, Randy Reed. Oh, man. When he was in high school. From Spanish Fork? Spanish Fork. The Dons. The Dons. And so, and, you know, I, I, at the time, it's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> I mean, I, I, what do you know? What do you do? Yeah. You don't, you're not going to post that anywhere. You posted it on your. Not social media. <laughs> you wrote a letter to somebody? Yeah. My mom put it in a scrapbook. Yeah. Right? From the paper. Yeah. From the paper. But, um, yeah, I like to shoot. Can you still shoot? I saw you shoot recently. I think you can still shoot. You feel confident still? Yeah. She was going to so. shoot, right? She was going to shoot. That reaction was like, hey, you're new in the ward. Do you play the piano? Oh, I play a little. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you shoot? Yeah, yeah I can shoot. Uh, that never goes away, right? Yeah. It never goes away. I'll never know what that's like. Okay, uh, Southern Utah. So you graduate. Okay, at this point, how the heck do you get? Do you go from Southern Utah to Duke? That's quite the jump. Right. That's pretty so awesome. I'm a senior in college, and I think like most seniors at the time are going, what am I going to do? No clue. So you I, don't think, oh, I want to work in this. You know, I guess I just, I loved my time when I was at Southern Utah. I did a lot as a student there. But it's, okay, what's next? 
And I'll never forget sitting in one of my communications classes. Um, our professor at the time was talking about the Mountain West Conference basketball tournament. And he said, hey, you know, he had worked the tournament over the last handful of years. And so I went up to him after class and I just said, hey, how can I get involved in that, working that tournament? So he gave me the email to the commissioner and said, email the commissioner. And Wait, what year is this? 1999. So the Mountain West just formed that fall. Just formed. Okay. So he had been working the previous WAC tournament. The WAC, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I emailed the commissioner, introduced myself. I've been a student worker in the athletic department. Is it Craig Thompson at this time? The first commission, still the commission? Correct. Okay. And just kind of introduced myself, what I've been doing. Would love to volunteer. If there's anything I could do, please let me know. I get an email back about a week later from their associate director of communications. Hey, we'd love to have you come and work. Here's what it would entail. I reply and say, great, I've got a place to stay. I'll be down. And so for the attorney. For the attorney. Is it free? You're a volunteer at this point? Absolutely. Yeah. You're getting so, experience. Yeah. One of my best friends from high school had moved down there. He had a home and he was actually going to be gone that week. So he just said, hey, you can stay at my house. So remember getting down there, you're starting to meet people from the conference. Um, but met specifically a lady, her name was Jessica Real. And Jessica at the time was working at the University of Miami. But the Mountain West Conference had worked with her over the years. She had come out and helped put on the tournament. And so during that week of just working, I get to know Jessica and start networking with her. So we fast forward to after the tournament. I start sending my resume and my application all over the country. I'm looking online to see what's available. And so I sent my... I just wrote an application in my resume and sent it over to Duke, just in an email to the director of marketing. I get a call, says, hey, we'd love your resume. We'd love to set up a phone call with you. We are hiring two interns to come in and work with us next year. In that same time, our current athletic director at Southern Utah had just come from Louisiana State University, LSU, and they had a job open as well. It's not Jack Bishop anymore. No. It's not the father-in-law. No, no. So he had, re- uh, he had retired, actually took another AD job up in Washington. And so I've got this phone call set up with Duke, and now I've got a phone call set up with LSU. Are you stoked? I'm, yeah. But it's just a phone call. I don't right. know what's going to come from it. Right, but it's at least an interview. It's an interview. Yeah. So I have my Duke interview and then have my LSU interview. And I get a call back two days later from LSU say, hey, we want to talk to you again. So I have another conversation. And now I'm going into the AD's office at SU going, Tom, his name was Tom Duple at the time. You only work for Tom's. That's right. Hey, Tom, tell me about Louisiana. Tell me about Baton Rouge. What's it like? And, you know, he starts giving me some insight. And he's like, Dave, do you – is this something you're really considering? I'm like, uh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to, I'll, I'll go anywhere. And, you know, I'm talking to my wife at the time and she's like, Dave, wherever is available, we'll go. And so I'm in this situation where I get another call back from Duke and have another interview. And now I've got two job offers, LSU and Duke. And I'll never forget when I got the phone call from Duke. We were in Cedar. We were, my wife and I were getting ready to go to St. George. And I get the call just before we're leaving. 
And my wife is just losing her mind. <laughs> She's just so excited. And I'm ecstatic. And I'll never forget, we called, we started calling our family. Call my mom and dad, call my in-laws. And it's like, okay, great, what are you going to do? Right, you're going to move to Baton Rouge, you're going to move to Durham. And, you know, we obviously prayed about it and, and thought through it and felt like Duke was going to be the best opportunity for us. And so took the Duke opportunity and did not regret that one bit. Nick Saban and David Almodova. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from LSU. Okay, how would you summarize your experience at Duke? Because that, that is such an incredible place, academically, athletically. Yeah. So if I can just say Jessica, because people ask, man, SU to Duke, how does that happen? So Jessica, I had reached out to, and I said, Jess, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to apply for this job at Duke. Do you happen to know anyone in Durham? And she says, yeah, I know Scott Yacola. Scott's the director of marketing at Duke. And I said, would you mind reaching out to Scott and just if there's anything you could say or help me with, that would be greatly appreciated. Because you had spent a week right. in close quarters. Right. So and she knows what you're about. And so at the time, I, I didn't know if Jessica had done anything or not. And it wasn't until a few years later when it came out that Scott had talked with Jessica and she gave me a high recommendation. Mm, so it helped. So, it, yes. and Maybe put you above where you might have been. And awesome. the other thing I found out later was that being at a smaller institution where you had to do a whole lot of different things was also something that they were looking for. Mm, okay. And so those two things really helped me uh, get to Durham. And so, yeah. Okay, how would you summarize Duke? <sighs> and for those that don't feel like, hey, I'm doing a lot at a small in a small space, can I jump to a big space? Yes. Yes, Absolutely. you did. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um. You know, it was it was absolutely amazing. And I'll preface this by saying, you know, when you grow up when you're when you're on athletics a lot, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm pompous or anything, but you know, whether whether celebrities or, or sports celebrities, that never really phased me, I guess, just because you're around it. And even though I was at a small school, still had a lot of opportunities to be around some pretty big time athletes. But I'll never forget the first time I met Coach Krzyzewski, how scared I was, how <laughs> nervous I was, because I'm like, that's, that's Coach Krzyzewski. He's, I mean, you could argue he's the greatest basketball coach ever. Absolutely. It's, if he's not two, if he's not one, maybe he's two. Right. John Wooden. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll never forget, we're at, a, we're at an event for all of the freshmen at Duke, and we do this thing where he comes and he speaks to all the freshmen. And I'm sitting there like, I, I'm, we're going to meet the, We're going to meet him. I'm just, I'm nervous. And he walks up and he says, hi, I'm Mike Krzyzewski. Which is hilarious. Right. Shakes out his hand. And I'm like, hi, coach. I'm David Amadova. I'm your new promotions coordinator. <laughs> like he probably, but he was like, hey, David, it's great to have you here at Duke. Glad to have you part of our team. You know, let's do this. And I was and just. And you took a charge right then and there. <laughs> right. <laughs> But, you know, our first event, you know, so we're there, and then my wife actually um, gets asked, to, hey, you want to come help? So there, it's an event right before the school, school starts. We'd been there maybe a month, and it was, they had this event called the K Academy. And so they're doing a Coach K roast, 
and Jay Billis was going to be the MC, and they had you know Leslie Visser, Joe, uh, uh, Foxworthy, um, Charles Barkley, Saunders from ESPN, right? They had all these celebs there that night that were going to roach Coach Krzyzewski. And outside, we were in charge of the silent auction that we were doing. So, you know, you've got Jay Williams, Christian Leitner, Grant, all these, you know, memorabilia of all these former Duke greats. And my wife is working at a, she's working the Christian Leitner table. She doesn't know who Christian Leitner is. (laughs) She's standing there and this gentleman walks up to her and starts having a conversation with her. And she's like, yeah, I'm not sure it's Christian Leitner. I guess if you want to buy any of his stuff. Well, they're talking for a while, and she walks over to me. She's like, hey, who is that guy? I'm like, that's Christian Leitner. <laughs> and she's like, oh, had no idea. That's great. But it was it was probably one of the most – when you talk about events, that was probably the – one of the best events I'd ever been to because that roast – like, mm. we got to learn a whole lot about Coach Krzyzewski that night because it was no holds bar. And obviously where Jay had played for him, he shared a whole lot of insight that night. It was amazing. It was just amazing to be around that um, and an event we'll never forget. But Duke was just, you know, Duke, Chapel Hill, UNC, NC State, Wake Forest, all, you know, Duke to Carolina, our home where we lived, it was 12 minutes to UNC, 12 minutes to Duke. Mm. And it was 25 minutes to NC State, and it was an hour to Winston-Salem to Wake Forest. And so being around, I mean, it's, you know, it's, the culture was, you know, it's basketball, it's ACC. It was, that's what people live for. And just to see the the fan base and the culture there was something I'll never forget. And obviously took a lot of things that we had done there and, you know, hope, you know brought here as well. But, um, yeah, an experience we'll never forget. Do you have a favorite uh, Duke basketball player? Chris Duhon was one of the best guys. I mean, honestly, they were all great. Chris, I mean, J.J. Redick, I mean, I'd go and sit in the gym just to watch him shoot, right? He'd shoot for hours. I'd just sit there and watch. Um, yeah, they were. Just a couple of shooters hanging out. A couple of shooters hanging out. You and J.J. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you make 92 threes in the state? No? Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Any other experiences from Duke that sort of made you who you are and that you've used sort of at BYU since? Cause I, and how long were you there? So I was there for five years. Five years. So my, one of my responsibilities there was, you know, with marketing. So I went out there to be an intern, and it's a paid internship with benefits and everything. So it started as a – was this a one It was supposed to be deal? a one-year deal. Okay. So you don't know if you're going to be there one year or more? That's right. Okay. And midway through that first year, they asked if I'd like to come back a second year. Absolutely, 100%. And at the time, my wife was also hired in their development office. Oh, okay. To be a part of their special event staff. They're like, sorry, uh, Jackie, you need to know who Christian Lander is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so she worked in her on, in their development team with their special events department. So she got to put on all the events and help with the, everything, right? And she loved it. And so they asked me to come back as well. And in the middle of my second year, they offered me a full-time position. And so... You made quite the impression then. Halfway through, they're like, we need to re-up with you. The second half. We need to re-up with you. That's great. But when you want to talk about experiences, I was there in 2006 with the Duke lacrosse team. And if people don't know about that story, it's a 30 for 30. Yep. Um, but that was, you know, obviously a professional experience I'll never forget. 
um, being there, um, being in the locker room when the players were told that we're going to cancel the game today, and this is why. So, quick story about all this. You know, it's a Saturday morning. You know, our game uh, faces off at 1 o'clock. I get a call from our director of communications that oversees lacrosse. About 7 in the morning, he's like, hey, I need you to get in in ASAP. Okay. We had kind of had heard some rumblings about what potentially had happened, but just had no idea. We had been down in Atlanta for the men's basketball NCAA um, East Regional Tournament. You know, Duke had made it to the Sweet 16, and so we were all down there for that. So we get back to Durham, and I get a call. Hey, we need you and your team to come in early. And so get to the office, you know, what's going on? And our athletic director walks in and says, hey, we've got to get the word out that we're going to cancel today's game. Okay. One thing about the lacrosse world, big tailgating community, right? Big tailgating tradition with lacrosse. So both fan bases are already out in the park a lot. All the families are there. They're tailgating. So we've got to go put up signs, and we've got to send out emails of, you know, why you know, that, that we're canceling that game. Go into the locker room, and our AD has all the parents and families come into the locker room and says, we're canceling today's game, and this is why we're canceling it. The parents in the room, when you want to talk about I mean, the lacrosse family at Duke was, I mean, as tight-knit as I've ever seen any sports team, right? And and they made us feel like they were a part of their family. Loved working with them. Loved the coaching staff. And I'll never forget sitting in the back of the room and one of the coaches going, hey, Dave, do you know who that is? Do you know who this is? I mean, you're talking about these are high-powered attorneys, CEOs, major companies, the PR director for the NFL, right? You've got all these people in there. And they are asking, they want to talk to the president of the university, right? We want the president here, president's out of town. We want the chancellor. We want the dean. And all this starts to unfold, and these parents are saying, you guys don't know about what's about to hit. Like, this is going to be national news tonight once the story breaks. And that's something I think when I look back on, maybe we weren't prepared for what was about to go down. How could you be? Right. You know what I mean? You, you end up going through this in a similar situation, being in the BYU Athletic Department in 2011 with Brandon Davies. Right. A national story. Right. And and so I think what I took away from that whole experience, what I learned is, you know, you had a head coach who was an amazing person. Amazing. Family man. You know, it was spring break when this happened. And when spring break at, you know, at most schools, right, it's a ghost town. People are gone. But that's right in the middle of lacrosse season. So they're still on campus. And so, you know, nobody's around. And this all, this you know, this incident happens. And so it's like, okay, you know, he said, she said, you got a district attorney coming in. But we knew, like, we knew those kids. And what they were saying is, you know, we did not do anything. You know, a month goes by and a head coach gets relieved of his duties before we knew what was going on, right? We didn't know, we didn't have all the facts. And so, but, you know, an AD had to make a call. And then these three boys get charged or, you know, and just seeing this go down and, and I'm just sitting there just, just trying to learn and watch. And 
you know, one thing that I've always taken away from that is you can, you know, don't judge until you know the facts. You've got to know the facts. And so that's something I've always taken with me is, you know, when a situation comes up, until you know the facts, if you can, wait on making a decision. So We're so reactive, right? Especially right. with social media. Oh. Your voice can be heard. Sometimes it's bad that your voice is heard at a certain time, right? You need to wait and then... Yeah, there's a timing to everything. So yeah, that's yeah. And for those that haven't seen the documentary, it's thirty for thirty. You can learn a lot about that. You were in you were in uh, the meetings on that. You know, crazy. Okay, so after five years, it's 07, You always got an opportunity here. What's your What's your title at Duke? You're not the head guy at this so point. So I'm an assistant it. director of marketing. Okay, you're an assistant director at BYU. There's an opportunity in 2007 to be the director of marketing. The director. How quickly are you like? Oh, BYU. Hmm. Have you ever come? Are you still like anti BYU at this point because you were a Hawaii guy? I am, Jerome. <laughs> and at the time, you know, my cousin was playing quarterback at the University of Hawaii. Who's your cousin? Timmy Chang. Timmy Chang is an all time quarterback. Yeah. Real cousin. Real cousin. Yes. Yeah. I. You know what? I don't even care. <laughs> you tell me he's a cousin. He's a cousin. So, so yeah. So I'm at I'm at Duke. And I'll never forget my my boss, Bart Smith, walks in. He's the one that was at Baylor. Walks into my office and he says, hey, Dave, your Mormon school is hiring a marketing director. You're like, BYU-Hawaii? <laughs> <laughs> and he knew, right? We had discussions about BYU. He knew my feelings. And he, and said, he still brought it up. Yeah, your Mormon school is hiring. Dave, you should look at it. Are you trying to get rid of me? No, no, no. I don't want you to leave. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's the next step, right, yeah. in this in this industry that we're in. He says, Dave, just take a look at it. I'm like, Bart, you know. And he's like, Dave, just take a look at it. Why is he so insistent? Because he wants me to get that next level, right? It's a director To job. be a director. Right. He thinks you're ready. He thinks I'm ready. And he, I mean, talk about amazing bosses. I mean, he, you know, he, he came in. I was a part of the hiring committee when he came in. And he, you know, he'd always said, Dave, you should have been the director of marketing here, not me. And I'm like, Bart, you're, no, you've got the experience. You're amazing. And he's like, no. And he, he just gave me a lot of confidence, right, over my time there with him. And so, you know, he's telling me about this. And so I, it's in my mind. Maybe we should look at it. And it was interesting, Jerem. It, the job closed, I believe it was like a Friday night, 11.59 p.m., and I send my resume. I hit send on Friday night, 11.58 p.m. Mm. Send it in. So I get a phone call. Hey, we'd like to talk to you. You know, set up a 30-minute phone interview. So I do the phone interview. And, Jerem, I completely bombed the phone interview. I knew it. I know I did. I just, for I don't know if it was just because I, deep down, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Or if I just, you know, my mind wasn't. Into it, I'm not sure. I bombed the phone interview. So I remember getting, you know, I get home that day. My wife's like, how'd the phone interview go? I was like, yeah, we're not, they're not calling us. I'm out. And she's like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? She's like, I'm like, Jackie, I bombed the phone interview. And so uh, about a week and a half later, two weeks later, I get a phone call. Dave, we want to fly you out. And I'm like, what? Yeah, we want to fly you out. We'd love to talk to you in person. And so... I take that opportunity to come out to Provo, and that's where I meet Tom for the first time. Tom Homo. Tom Homo. 
and I'm in a room with Tom, and just listening to Tom talk, um, being around him, you know, in my mind, I'm like, man, I, I could work for this man. Um, and obviously at the time, Coach and I was the offense coordinator, so I had asked if I could go meet with him. So I went down to Coach and I's office and spent some time with him. And he'll tell you what's really going on. He'll tell me. He doesn't spare any, or sugarcoat anything. Not sugarcoat anything. You know, and this is where Robert played, right? This yep. is where he, he loves BYU, loves BYU. And so he, you know, he was all about. He'd only been here two years. Only been Coming two from years. Texas Tech and the whole coaching circuit. So Correct. he's pretty new, too. Pretty new, too. On his first go-round here. He likes BYU so much he comes back again later. That's right. And so I also, as I'm walking through the hallway, see Mark Atuaya, another guy I'd grown up with. And I'm One talk- of the best people on the whole planet. Amazing. I cannot wait to see him. When he goes <laughs> but at the time, Mark's not on the staff, right? He's, a, he's in law school here. I see Mark, and I'm talking with Mark. And, you know, we're just reminiscing. And also at the time, I knew Coach John Wardenberg, who was on the men's basketball staff. Coach Wardenberg had coached me in a high school AAU league. So I got to play for, for Coach Wardenberg and I talked to him, and, you know, he started talking to me about BYU and all the great things that were going on here. I didn't know you played for John. That's awesome. Yeah. Everybody loves John that interacts with John. And I had known Coach Rose because when I was down in Southern Utah, I also had, there was a chance where I was going to go to Dixie, and that's where Coach Rose was the head coach down there. And so mm, I had known. All kinds of connections. So I knew his background and knew of Coach Rose and really respected Coach Rose. And so, you know, things are starting to kind of fall into place here. I, I know some of these people. I'm, I'm talking to them. They're filling me in about the BYU and what we're all about and the vision and culture. And so I – and then I called my brother-in-law, who was a high school football coach here in the state and had gotten to know Coach Mendenhall just through the coaching channels. And he couldn't say enough good things about Coach Mendenhall. Love Coach Mendenhall, what he was doing for the program, what he was doing for the state. And so have my interview, fly back out to Durham, and about two weeks later get the call – they offer me the position, and it is also the year after the lacrosse situation where our lacrosse team, because we canceled not only that game that day, but then we canceled the rest of the season. So now lacrosse is back in 07, and we are going to the Final Four. And in our minds, we're going to win the whole thing. And so I remember on the call when I got offered the position here at Duke, I'm going, we'll take the job, but can I please stay here until our men's lacrosse team goes to the Final Four? because I want to be here for that. And so they were like, absolutely, you know, we totally understand. And um, so, yeah, went through that and um, moved my family back out to Utah. And, you know, at the time, Jerem, you know, we had two young boys. They were three and two years old. So if we're going to move, that was a good time to move. It's always about, you know, moving and and job changes. A lot of it's about timing. And so for our family at that time, it was the perfect opportunity with timing. And so we took the job, moved to Provo. At the time, my, you know, my in-laws were living in southern Utah. My parents were living in southern Utah. We had a lot of family down in southern Utah. And so being closer to the family with the two boys, uh, we felt like that was a great opportunity to do so at the time. They're now in high school. They just started earlier oh, uh, this month. You know, so. High school, senior and junior. <laughs> so 
And then your daughter, uh, Kaya, she's my daughter's age. We we were at Girl Dad Camp together, which was super fun. Amazing. That was so One awesome. One of the best weekends ever. And for those dads who did not attend and would like to go next year, we Jeremy and I both highly recommend it. And we'll be there. We'll be next there. Next year. It was, it was awesome. We'll be there. Okay, last year, so 2007, I mean, you, you come in at a good time, too, with the basketball and football teams, by the way. Absolutely. Like top 25 in both. Yeah, we get here, and you got you got Max Hall, Dennis Pitta, Harvey Unga, Austin Colley. Mm. You know, you Brian Kill, Popinga, and don't leave out my boy David Nixon. Oh, David Nixon, that's <laughs> my boy. And I mean, yeah, great teams, great seasons, both sides, football, basketball, and um, we yeah, what a, the pre-Jimmer era, pre-Jimmer era. He's almost here though, in 08. Yeah. Almost here, and yeah, great time to start at BYU, and I never forget. Uh, when I first got in here, BYU had just um, that year before in 06, they had won. I can't remember, but it was most of the West Mountain West Conference championships was that year that BYU won a lot of them. I can't remember how many we won mm. that year. And so, yeah, coming into that time where we had just won a lot of Mountain West Conference championships. Dominating. Yeah. So fun great time. I'm in school time. at this time. Okay. So it's yeah. fun. And and I'm going on the mountain. So the mountain. Ah, the mountain, the worst, right? <laughs> But they had a camera in the Smith Fieldhouse, and they had a designated student from each school that would come on and sort of do this PTI sort of debate thing. We're winning all the championships. I'm dominating every conversation because I'm just going, <laughs> scoreboard, baby! So, yeah, it was a super fun time. Wyoming had nothing on us. It was great. Okay, so let's fast forward all the way to last year, 2020. Perhaps this is the most unique year of everyone's lives for obvious reasons. From a Marketing and promotion standpoint, when you're in a pandemic and you have limited or no fans, what were the challenges and how did you face those last year? You know, I think the story's been told of what Tom said to our coaches, right? We're going to do everything we can to make sure that we compete. Let's do everything we can so that we're prepared so that when we are able to start, we'll be ready. That was the same mindset I think a lot of us took with our staffs was – hey, we're going to be ready. We're not going to stop working. We may have to pivot a lot and what we're going to do. And a lot of unknowns. I mean, we're on calls with a lot of our counterparts across the country. We're on Zoom calls with 60 marketing directors and you know all these different people about what we're going to do. And in the beginning, it was, we don't know. We don't know what it's going to look like. Will we even have sports? But we kept talking about, okay, if we do, you know, what are we going to do that we can where it's, we've got digital opportunities. How do we create fan experiences through the digital platforms? And so it was a lot of this, it was a lot of conversations. It was a lot of talking with a lot of unknown. And so it was, hey, let's plan for A, let's plan for B, and let's plan for C. And I don't know about most people, but over time it was like, oh my gosh, another Zoom call. But, you know, Zoom dominated our lives and our world, and that's how we had to communicate. And so as we went into it, Tom starts putting the schedule together, you know, because we're, you know, people are dropping off, and then he's putting the schedule together. And it's like, okay, we have games. We're going to have games. We don't know if we're going to be fans, but we're going to have games. And so, you know, we're working with our corporate sponsorship team. And this was a time, I think, Jerem, where a lot of the external units within our athletic department came together because it was, you know, from a development standpoint, how are we going to ask people for money when we're not competing? 
How are we going to have sponsors be a part of a game day experience when there's no fans, right? And from our end, what we're doing. And so, you know, we're starting to do, you know, hey, let's try a second screen experience. Let's, you know, how do we get people to come to the stadium safe without coming into the stadium? And so, you know, we did a weekend where we had people come and pick up by Cougar Tails yeah. and get signs. Thousands and of people showed up. Thousands of people showed up. They sold out of Cougar Tails. They just wanted to be near the stadium. Yes. People drove from connection. Idaho, right? People sought connection. Exactly. And and so, you know, that led to all of us getting on together and go, okay, you know, we created the all-in campaign. At that time, it was, we're going to be down $20 million. What are we going to do? And at the time, it was, we need to reach out to Cougar Nation and ask for help. This is real. You know, season ticket revenue gone. You know, donations had dipped. Corporate sponsorships. How do you tell a corporate partner, hey, still give us what you want, but there's going to be nobody in the stadium. Like, how do you know? It's a tough ask. That's a tough ask. And so, you know, we all got together to say, let's let's do a campaign and let's reach out. And the important thing about that is, you know, we have to be transparent. You have to be transparent with people. And I thought Tom's message to Cougar Nation when we launched it was amazing. And the response on that was, you know, I think we all saw that, right? Cougar Nation came out strong. I work here, but I don't. Because I was like, let's go. Yeah. It, it, it was what I could do, but I was like, let's go. I'm in. And I, and I think Tom's message resonated with a lot of Cougar Nation. And, and so, you know, fast forward to now, Jerem, we're actually we're, we're discussing on redoing something similar uh, with another campaign. Um, because even though we were able to make up some of that revenue or the dollars that were lost, we're still in the hole, right? You still got to make up. One thing for BYU is we have to, at BYU Athletics, we have to be self-sustaining. And so people think people don't understand that part, and maybe you could explain that part. I think people say, "Oh, the church is rich, right? Like BYU Athletics is good. They're not funneling gajillion dollars in BYU Athletics. It's it's not that simple. Tithing isn't just funneled into BYU Athletics. That's not a thing. That's correct. So we have to we have to be self sustaining. We have to generate revenue to support the athletic department." So that's through donations, private donations, corporate sponsorships, ticket revenue. You know, that's how we generate our operating budget. Those funds that we receive come in to help with operating budget. And so with that said, we still need to generate a little bit more revenue because of what was lost. We were able to make up, but we're still in the hole. And so we're in the process right now of, of strategizing what we're going to do this upcoming year. And BYU is one of the few athletic departments in the country, Tom Homel said at Education Week recently, that uh, operate in the black. That's it's correct. very rare. Very Almost rare. everyone spends more than they earn, which is incredible. You hear about all these TV contracts and donors and blah, blah, blah. It's like, how in the world do you do that? There's an arms race. BYU does its best to keep up. In some areas, we're right there or ahead. In some areas, we're behind. It is what it is. But you look at the teams – they achieve at that level, regardless of that, which is pretty incredible. You could argue that BYU overachieves at a level un, unmatched of anyone, given what's going on with some of those things. Great coaching, great culture, great uh, administration. So those are some of the factors that I see where 
why that's the case. How do you see it? Because our teams are better than, you could argue, the budgets, if you will. Absolutely. And you hit on it, and then I'll add our student-athletes. Mm. They, are, they, are they are the best. And that's, you know, people ask me, you know, what do you like working about? What do you like working at BYU? And I'm like, we have the best product to market, right? We have the best student athletes from top to bottom. The overall whole of our athlete is their first class, their class. And they're just, they're amazing. And I just, I, you know, Jeremy, I go back to this experience when I, when I was at Duke and Timmy, my cousin was a quarterback at Hawaii. We had had a bye, and so my wife and I flew out to a game, and I won't say the school they were playing at. When you have a family member playing, it's, it's, it's different, right? You take it extremely personal. And I'll never forget sitting there with my family and my immediate family, my brother and my mom and dad and my relatives and everybody, and we were in the section right next to the home team fans. And they were brutal. They were absolutely brutal, and we taking it personal, right? They're on him to where some of my cousins get up, and we're about to throw blows. My brother's getting into it. You know, and I'm sitting here, and I'm watching this, and it's like, why are we so upset? Well, because Tim's family, and they're attacking him verbally. That hurts. And so that's an experience that I'll never forget where now you fast forward, and it's like, you know, if when our fans – you know, if, if we're being critical during a game, you know, that's someone's husband, right? It's someone's child. And I know that fans are going to be fans, and that's what, you know, their fans are fans, and, and our fans are great. But when you know the athlete like we do, it becomes personal because they're family. Yeah. Right? And so that's why for us and what we do, we try to find opportunities for our fans to connect and engage with them so that they get to know them behind the helmet, right? Yes, they have a helmet. Yes, they have a jersey. Yes, they can kick a ball. But they're also, I mean, they're 18 to 23, 24-year-olds. They're young kids, and they're human. They have a heart. And so, you know, that's one thing I loved. There, there's two things, my experience at Penn State and experience at Duke. Coach Krzyzewski's whole thing to the Cameron Crazies every year was Cheer for our team. Don't waste your energy on the visiting team, right? Mm. Cheer for us. Lift our team. When we're down 10, lift us. When we're down 20, lift us. You, you, know, you guys have that opportunity to lift our guys in the game when we're down. And so for me, it's like when we're, if we're down a touchdown or two or we're down 10 points in the Merit Center or at any other event, Instead of being frustrated, instead of leaving, stay and lift our team, lift our athletes, because there's something powerful about a home field advantage. When you have 60,000 people that got your back, it does resonate with our athletes in any of our venues. And so that's been my whole thing is, man, if we can connect and engage to where they know them, hopefully that transfers over to when they're in the venue. Because if I know you and have a connection I want you to succeed. Lift them. Lift our athletes. And so I'll be honest, Jeremy, when I was at Duke, I would hope. I was like, man, I hope we get down 10. 
I hope we get down 15. Because mm. when we get down 15, that's when Cameron gets amazing. Interesting. Right? Like they're not. Not when you're up 15. Not when you're when up. You're down 15. When you're down. When you're down. Those comebacks are, those are the experiences and memories that I always have when I, when I was at Duke. And we've had that here. I mean, you want to talk about experiences and environments. I think the Merritt Center, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, the Smith Field House, South Field, we have some of the best college atmospheres in the country. And a lot of us, our students, The Rock, our fans that are there, when they get going, it is a sight to behold. And you've been there, Jeremy. You've seen it. And that's what I love about it, right? It's just it's that pageantry. It's the emotion. It's the noise. I mean— it's it's awesome. It's super special. I don't get to call men's basketball and football games. My my main play-by-play gigs men's volleyball. When we play UCLA and it's a packed house and it's you know for the MPSF title or whatever. You know, it frankly almost any regular season game. It's about what it feels like in there when you're there. Venue size doesn't matter. It's about what you feel like when you're in there. And it's special, man. At BYU it's awesome. Like some of my most cherished life moments Obviously, are like family related, and there's spiritual moments, but there's like the BYU athletic moments of no one will ever forget 2020 Gonzaga, no one will ever forget 2015 Boise State, you know, no 2001 Utah, like just these moments where it's like when you were there and what you felt like it's special. So lift our team, I love that. I feel like, and this has been the case with other Deep Blues. Oh man, I need part two, three, four, five, six. I could talk to you forever, but uh, I've learned so much from you, and I really appreciate what you've done for BYU Athletics. Like, the experience is great because of what you and your teams are putting together. So I look forward to 2021, man. Uh, it's going to be a fun season. We've got a good team again, which is exciting. And I'm talking football, and, and frankly, I could just talk about every team that way. We've got a good team. You name the team, we got a good team. Our external team at BYU is amazing, right? It, it's, it's, a, it's a collaborative, you know, we're collaborative on everything we do. And, and so it's, it's not just one person, it's all of us, right? We all have the same goals and visions to make BYU great and to make sure fans have a great experience and our student athletes have a great experience. And so it's all of us working together for a common goal. And, and that's why, you know, we do what we do. It's a special place here, man. And, uh, it's fun that we get sports to sort of, sort of wrap that experience into a single event sometimes, right? So, David, appreciate the time, man, and we look forward to a fun 2021-22 athletic season. Awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate you having me. That'll do it for us. Listen to previous episodes of Deep Blue on the BYU Radio app or where podcasts are found. For David Almodova and producer Trent Reimschuster, I'm Jeremy Jordan. You've just listened to Deep Blue on BYU Radio.